you want victory, you can have it in Christ Jesus. Time once again for Abiding in Christ with Jim Wood. You have to step back, evaluate the various positions in light of Scripture, and then re-engage with a godly perspective. Pastor Wood is the founder of Weirs Valley Ranch, a Christian home and school for kids from crisis family situations. Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. You can contact the program by calling 866-41-ABIDE or by visiting us on the web at wvr.org. And now, without further delay, here's your host, Jim Wood. You would please open your Bibles to Mark chapter 12, a short passage this morning. After the long one last time, Mark chapter 12, verses 41 through 44. This is God's word. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had, to live on. May God grant his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. I'm glad you're here today. Some of you think, oh, he's going to give us a stewardship sermon. Now that's what people who've been in church for years think. Other folks don't even know the term stewardship sermon. Well, this is a stewardship sermon, but as you know, it's not a topical message where I decided, well, it's that time of year, we need to try and raise some money. No, we're working our way through the scriptures as we always do. And now we've come to a passage where Jesus talks about money. It's not the only one. He actually talks about money a lot, even saying No one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll despise this one, love that one. You you can't have it both ways. Okay, well, that makes sense. But then Jesus has to bring it home. And so he adds this. You cannot serve God and money. As if that's the only other thing people serve. Well, it's not, of course. Jesus knew that. But he also knew that your attitude toward money is a very strong indicator of your attitude toward God. So you're saying it's it's wrong to have money? Not at all. I'm saying it's wrong when money has you. When money is the thing that you are focused on. Well, that holds true for pastors too, doesn't it? Yes. And churches? Yes. You notice how every Sunday we make a big deal out of passing the plate. 
We always ask before we pass the plate for everybody to stand and say with us, God says it, I believe it, tithing. And then we pass the plate around. No, we've never done that. Never, ever. People ask me, uh, how, do, how do I give to this church? I say, well, there's a, a box in the foyer. Oh. We don't announce it at the start of the service. Hey, everyone, just want to remind you, there is a collection box out there in the foyer. So don't forget, as you're headed out today, be sure. And no, we, we don't do that. Why? Because so many churches do seem to be just focused on money. That it causes a lot of people to use that as an excuse for not wanting to be a part of a church. Because they're always talking about money. They're always just, that's all they care about. They're after one. That's not the case. Certainly not the case here. And certainly not the case with God. And one reason is precisely what we see here in this passage. And that is, Jesus watched as people came along and threw their money into the receptacle there for the offering. And many rich people put in large amounts of money. That's great, isn't it? Well, it's fine. Jesus could have said, don't they understand the leadership of the temple is corrupt? These folks are the ones who are out to kill me which is about to happen. Jesus knew that the temple was run by crooks who hated God. It wasn't just about where the money got given. It was about why the money got given. So there are lots of scriptures. If I was doing a stewardship sermon, I could do a stewardship series. We could talk about money week after week for six weeks. Wouldn't you love that? Not going to do that. Our focus today is on this passage, just like our focus last week was on that passage. And our focus, God willing, next time will be on the next passage. But this week we want to talk about this passage because it's God's Word. The first point that I want you to see in this little short section is that Jesus was watching. Jesus was watching. I don't know if you know it or not, but it's not just when you go to church that Jesus is watching. Jesus is watching all the time. He knows what's going on. Not only do we see that Jesus was watching, but we see that there were, in fact, a lot of people giving, and many of them were rich, and they were giving large amounts. That is noted. It is worth noting. I've had the privilege in my life of knowing a lot of rich people. And many of them have been just fabulously generous. When our first house here at the ranch was being built, the family that built it, they approached me when they heard I was going to start a children's home. My wife and I were going to start a children's home. They approached me and they said, uh, we'd like to build the first house at the children's home. I said, thank you so much, that's great. Now, a good ministry founder would have immediately followed up with a letter the next day that would say, 
Dear Joe and Sarah, I was greatly encouraged when you told me that you planned to build the first house. When can we get together to discuss the plans and the budget? That's what a good CEO type would do. I didn't do any follow-up whatsoever. So they came to me a second time. And they said, could we take you out to eat after church? I said, sure. <laughs> and so we went out to eat. And toward the end of the meal, right before the dessert course, I said, uh, listen, when we said we wanted to build the first house at your children's home, we were really serious. I said, I am so grateful. Thank you very, very much. We had our dessert. We went home. I did no follow-up. Finally, they came to me a third time, and Joe said, look, what do we have to do? Okay? Can we see some plans or something? I mean, we really do want to build the first house. I said, you're right. I'll get some plans. We'll go over them together. And we did. And the only change they wanted to these plans for the first house was to make the porch bigger. I said, you realize that'll cost more money? And they said, yeah, but we, we think the kids will get more use out of it, and the staff will too if it's a bigger porch. I said, okay, we can do that. That was the only thing they wanted. The cost of that back in 1991 and 2, it opened in 92, the cost back then to build that house for most folks would have been somewhere in the neighborhood, I was told by a local builder, that place would have cost around $350,000 to $400,000. We got it in for $200,000. Isn't that great? At the same time that that was built for $200,000, the Edwards were building their retirement home in Florida, the house where they would live and where they would welcome family to visit them and where they would welcome us to visit them. Beautiful house house that was featured in various publications, etc., because it was really nice. But do you know what it cost them to build their house? $185,000. Now, I'm telling you that because they spent, I want to be sure you get the numbers, because they spent more on the house for the children at the ranch than they did on themselves. And these were people who could have spent as much money as they wanted on themselves. They did spend as much money as they wanted on themselves, and they gave the rest. Now, I'm telling you that story because when people like that give large amounts, I'm moved, I'm touched, I think it's wonderful. But I only see one part of the equation. That's all I'm privy to. I had heard that some friends of mine who had more than one Rolls-Royce gave away 50% of their income every year. They were multimillionaires, and that still left them with a lot of money. So when I was in college and I was trying to raise money for missions, I thought, I'm going to get some help from them. So I called Kate on the phone, and I said, uh, Mrs. Simpson, this is Jim Wood. Um, I'm involved in a thing called Campus Missions Project, and we're raising money to send college students on missions trips, and I was wondering if you could help us. She said, oh, Jim, I'd love to, and ordinarily I would say yes. But we actually have committed 50% of our income several years in advance to a number of causes we've been supporting for years, and this 
year, our income has dropped by 50%. We're still honoring our gifts, which means all of our income coming in this year is already committed to be given away, and we're going to have to live off reserves. Now, they had reserves, you know, sell a rolls, you know, but, but here's the thing. There were many rich people putting in large sums. That's great. That's wonderful. But God sees more than that. Jesus saw not just what was on the surface. Jesus saw what other people couldn't see. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says when you give, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Because your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Jesus also warns in the Sermon on the Mount not to be like those rich who sound trumpets. They're giving. Watch this, folks. That's from me. (laughs) Just thought everybody should know. Jesus says they have their reward in full. Okay? They got the praise of men. That's all they're getting. What are you living for? What are you giving for? Are you doing it to impress other people? Are you doing it because you love the Lord? Listeners of this broadcast from all over the country have signed up to help with the basic needs of children at Wares Valley Ranch by becoming a ranch hand. Ranch hands have committed to giving monthly to help with things like food, utility bills for ranch homes, and gas for the ranch minivans. If you believe the Lord would have you help in this way, you can become a ranch hand by signing up at wvr.org. Just look for the donate button. To step out of my comfort zone into the realm of the unknown where Jesus is. Jesus saw not just the comparative size of the gift, but Jesus saw the level of sacrifice. Jesus saw and sees the motive. 1 Corinthians 13 says that if I give all I possess and surrender my body to the flames, but it's not out of love, it doesn't count for anything. Why are you giving? I'm all for giving. But it's got to start not just with our finances. It's got to start with ourselves. 1 Samuel 15.22 reminds us that there is something more important than sacrificial giving. 1 Samuel 15.22, Saul had been told to wipe out the Amalekites. All the people, all the animals, everything. Samuel goes to meet him because God has told Samuel that Saul did not obey. And when he approaches him, Saul has preserved the life of the king. Because instead of killing him, he, he had him as a trophy. And 
he had saved the life of a bunch of the animals. Not out of compassion, but because they were really nice animals. So when confronted by, by Samuel, Saul said, oh, well, uh, we were going to offer these animals as a sacrifice to the Lord. It's a sacrifice. Okay? That's good, isn't it? Samuel said, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. Don't ever think that you can make some sort of sacrifice, financial or otherwise, that will take the place of obedience. God repeatedly said in scriptures that he was sickened by the smell of sacrifices coming from people who were trying to cover up the fact that they were not interested in repentance. They didn't want to change their life. They didn't want to do what God said. They wanted to be able to bring him a sacrifice and keep living for themselves. If we're going to worship the Lord in a meaningful way, it will be costly. And the first cost is obedience. Not in order to earn God's love, but we love him because he first loved us. And so what we do is a response of gratitude to the God who sacrificed his son for us. Jesus knew at this point that he's about to die. That he is about to offer up his life in our place. In 2 Samuel 24, 24, David had sinned against the Lord. And God sent punishment. And in the midst of that, David went to offer a sacrifice to the Lord in order to say, I am so sorry for what I've done. I know I deserve to die. But I want to offer a sacrifice in order to stop this that's going on. And so the angel of the Lord who was dealing out punishment was at a particular place that has historic significance that we're not even going to go into this morning. But he's there, and he asks the guy who owns the land, I want to buy this piece of land, and I want to buy your oxen and be able to offer this up as a sacrifice to the Lord here at this place. And the guy says, I'm not going to sell it to you. You can have it for free, okay? I mean, I support what you're doing. You can, you can have the land. You can have the sacrifice, the oxen and all that. It's, it's yours. David says, no. 2 Samuel 24, 24. He says, I will not offer to the Lord my God a sacrifice that costs me nothing. You understand? It's not a sacrifice if it's not costly. It's not a sacrifice if it's not costly. So the question is, have you moved from the point of token giving to the point of sacrificial giving? I hope the answer is yes. I was talking with a dear friend who was another very wealthy guy when we were in the midst of a building campaign in Atlanta. 
And the architect had told us to do this, this way, should cost about this much money. We put it out to bid. The bids came back, and the lowest bid was 50% higher than the estimate of what it was going to cost to build. Man, I choked. I mean, we'd had a fundraising campaign already, and we were very encouraged by the results and the pledges because we had enough money pledged to cover it over a three-year period. So I'm, I'm thinking, we're there. And the contractors come back and they say, no, 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 no. This is as low as you can go. We need 50% more. So I said to this guy, who was a developer and had millions of dollars, and I said, ah, you know, we're in kind of a dilemma. Please pray. And uh, he said, well, he said, I, I think a lot of people could probably give more if they know that that's the need. He said, I don't even remember what I pledged. I said, well, then you did not pledge enough, brother. <laughs> okay? If you were able to make a pledge and it was just, yeah, you, yeah here you go. Okay. If it, if it didn't stick with you because you prayed about it and God asked you to do something that caused you to gulp, you say, really, God? You, that's really what you're asking of me? If, if you didn't have that, if it was just a, a drop in the bucket, then you didn't pledge enough. That's why we need 50% more. You see, God was doing something in the hearts of his people. God has plenty of money. He doesn't need a thing from anybody. But the reason we needed to have more money in Atlanta was so that people who hadn't stretched would have to at least think about stretching. You understand? It was because we need that for our growth. We need to consider what God has done for us and then say, Lord, what would you have me do? We can never repay him. Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins. How are you going to pay that back? We can't. But we can say thank you by saying my life is yours. So does that mean that all of us, like the rich young ruler, have to sell everything we have and give it to the poor, knowing that we'll have reward in heaven and then come follow Jesus? No, it doesn't mean that. <clears throat> it means we have to recognize that everything is his and not ours. It's ours to steward. It's his to own. And so we take what we have and we say, Lord, what would you have me do with my money, with my time, with my relationships, with my energies? What do you want me to do with what you've entrusted to me? That's what God's looking for. Because he loves us. Not because there's some shortfall in heaven. He's not short on resources. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. The world is his. The earth and all that's in it. The sea and all that's in it. All the stars. He calls them by name. He put them where they are. It's all his. 
God doesn't need us. God loves us. But in order for us to become the joint heirs of Jesus who live fearlessly in a world that is fraught with difficulty, we have to come to the point of saying, okay, God, I, I, turns out I can't, I can't manage my own life, much less the universe. Please, you, you take it all. Do what you want with my life. And you will be fully satisfied. And there will still be more left over. You've been listening to Abiding in Christ. If you have questions that you'd like for us to tackle on the program or comments that you want to make, I want to invite our listeners to call 866-41-ABIDE. That's our toll-free number, 866-41-ABIDE. Or contact us on the web at wvr.org.